there's there's no point in you know trying to swim up river so to speak just so you can look like the company down the street that's the voice of matt noble owner of overkill woodcraft llc and i'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor this episode is brought to you by jobber jobber is software to organize and manage your business from quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Matt Noble, owner of the northern Georgia-based furniture company Overkill Woodcraft, LLC. As you will soon find out, Matt started his furniture company with a haircut, an unlikely twist of fate that started him down a road that, although hard, is exactly where he wants to be headed because hard work isn't something Matt turns away from. Instead, he embraces it and works out a way to overcome it using whatever he has at hand. From taking on tough clients, to understanding complex builds, to making furniture in spite of physical limitations, Matt has found a way to not only face these challenges, but to go beyond them and make his business a success. Follow along as we talk about luck versus preparation, how to gain the confidence of your clients, the importance of keeping your body healthy, and much more. So let's get into it and hear about Matt's story in his own words. My dad, he he owned a hurricane shutter company and, uh, you know, for South Florida, a lot of people in South Florida, they they deal with hurricanes. And uh, so kind of grew up around the trades and he was also a craftsman in general and he was always making stuff, you know, out of wood as well, tree houses and uh, stairs. I remember actually making our first uh, epoxy table um, <laughs> when the Marlins won the World Series in 1997, I believe it was. So uh, I'm going to date myself here and say I think I was about 12 years old. So, you know, that was always just kind of a part of who I was growing up, but I never really viewed it as anything really artistic or anything. And, um, you know, later on, I, I was installing um, custom, custom kitchen cabinets actually for uh, one of my neighbors for a while. But I remember just wanting a career, honestly enough, didn't involve a ton of manual labor, but I also uh, didn't have the degree, you know, to like get that. So I joined the military in 2005 and, um, you know, I made what I could while I was in mainly just kind of necessity type of, of builds, just using those fundamentals that I had. You know, about 10 years later, the military had taken its toll on my body and uh, on my third deployment, I got kind of jacked up and ended up getting medically separated. So which layman's terms is kind of like being medically retired. So I am a 100% disabled veteran, but, you know, I still was trying to pursue the career I was working in at the time, which was kind of like FEMA. So I was working for the DOD after that. And, but like occasionally I'd like throw my back out or something. So I was like, "Ah, I need to be closer to family. So like if, (laughs) you know, I can't make food or something because I just threw my back out, then I should uh, have somebody nearby. So I moved back down to my hometown in South Florida and I was living there for a while. And I was, I was working for uh, the County government at the time, but you know, it just wasn't really, it wasn't really going 
too well as far as just the politics of it all. So um, I kind of started putting some of my energy into our, our first home. And this is where I'm sure it sounds very similar to a lot of other people's stories. But, you know, I was doing a ton of renovations on my house. I kind of started realizing just something clicked. I remember I was building a, uh, a cornice for this, this huge sliding glass door in the house. And I remember thinking, oh, this is, this is cool. I can actually put my own spin on this because I was used to just building what was already kind of prefab or whatever and not ever being able to put my own, my own twist on things. So I was like, oh, I can actually get kind of artsy, you know, with this. And I was really just enjoying it so much more. And it just kind of, um, you know, lit that fuse, so to speak. So I would... I would always go to this one barber shop that the barber was an old friend and, you know, I'd be showing him these pictures of the stuff I was doing around the house and everything. And the, the barber who owned the barber shop worked right next to him in, in the next chair. And he said one day, man, you know, like I can't get anybody to build me benches for a reasonable price. You know, they all want this much amount of money and blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, well, what are we talking about here? And, you know, he kind of showed me some pictures. I'm like, Oh, I can do that. No problem. Um, <laughs> and, it was a monster job. You know, it was way, way more than I probably should have taken on. It took me months to finish, but you know, I remember going into the barber shop one day because um, I'm big on uh, like the physical tangible things. So uh, I'm big into like making samples or mock-ups for people like that, just because I want to make sure everything's perfect for them. And I remember just, this was after like a really long day at my, you know, job, job at the time. And, uh, you know, I'd gotten like chewed out for a bunch of stuff. It was just a, a really rough day. So then I bring these samples over to this barbershop. Everyone was just so appreciative of it. And like, they were just kind of like, I don't, I don't want to blow myself up here or anything, but they were kind of in awe and um, just like, wow. And I just remember that feeling of like how happy it made people to see what I had made because it was exactly what they wanted, you know, something they were having a hard time finding and they knew it was going to be perfect. So that feeling kind of stuck with me. And I just remember thinking about that and thinking about that. And then some of the military injuries were just kind of catching up with me. I was missing a lot of work, you know, for like medical appointments and stuff at the time. And just working a typical nine to five office job wasn't really, wasn't really just what was best for my body at the time. So I think it was probably about three or four months later, I ended up resigning going, you know, full-time woodworker. A lot of stuff sticks out from that story, and I'm going to break it down a little bit. Number one, epoxy in 97, making epoxy, <laughs> epoxy project well well ahead of the, the popular social media craze that epoxy is today. So hats off to you for being an original epoxy supporter. <laughs> the other thing that sticks out is that customers can come from anywhere. You weren't even looking to start a furniture company. You were just getting your hair cut. And right next to you was your first customer. Right next to you was your first big job. It was the thing that pushed you into, I like building things, to I now have a furniture company. So that is such an important point to make that your business can start anywhere. People are always asking, when's the right time to jump in? When's the right time? Do I have to have this in order and that in order? And do I have to have this? And it's different for everybody, but you always have to remember, sometimes it just happens. Sometimes something just clicks, just like you clicked when you got that random invite 
to start building stuff. And then you decided this is what I want to do. So once you started your company, what were the first steps that you took? First of all, I just wanted to agree with you completely that, yeah, it just, it just kind of fell into my laps. Didn't see it coming at all. And, um, you know, the first steps is for me was once I had my opportunity to, uh, you know, jump into this big commission, um, I wanted to do things by the book. So I went and I got my LLC started. And, you know, you kind of talked about a lot of the other things that go into a business, such as, you know, the admin and, and the customer service. And, you know, in the, the career that I had up to that point, thankfully, I had a lot of experience in those areas. You know, I had experience with Microsoft Excel and the whole suite and PowerPoint and everything. But what I didn't have experience was uh, with any kind of rendering software. So, um, and you know, starting a new business and everything. I didn't want to dump a ton of money into it because at the time this was basically a side hustle for me. So I looked for what was free and I found SketchUp. And so I spent a lot of time kind of learning that because I have probably the, the artistic, you know, writing and drawing capability of a, a fifth grader. It's, it's not very good. So, and I didn't want to professionally present myself uh, with something kind of like that so um, and that's another reason why I do the the physical like samples of everything as well because even in some of these computer renderings it's I mean some of them look really good you know really detailed but SketchUp I'm sure for a lot of people that are familiar with it can kind of agree that the graphics are a little lacking but overall I think it's a great program so I put that together and you know I kind of started just drafting everything out I'm, I'm big in into the details you know the military instills the whole like uh, attention to detail part and then in my previous job uh, i'll just put it this way the motto was hope for the best prepare for the worst so big into the details try to get my cut sheets together and everything um what the materials were going to cost and i still missed a ton of stuff and um you know, I, I didn't go in the hole on that commission necessarily, but uh, didn't make anyone near the profit I probably should have. So, well, you shouldn't expect to retire after the first job. It's a learning experience. It's your first building block. It's laying the foundation and you're figuring out where you go from there. But you started in a very good spot. Maybe you didn't make as much money as you would on that job as you do today, if you took it on, but you knew what was important to you. And what was important to you was presenting yourself in a professional and polished way with samples and computer drawings and designs and having everything really locked down before you went forward and did the building. So that is a great place for you to have known that you wanted to start out because, because the way you do that first job is going to echo in the jobs to come. And you want to put everything in place before you move on to the next one. Absolutely. And I will say too, that I, I do feel I kind of got lucky in the sense that um, that first commission was, like I said, it was huge. These were, it ended up being, six, I believe, massive storage benches. And on top of that, there was custom upholstery. And while I do have a little bit of experience with that, um, I wasn't about to do that myself because I knew it wasn't going to be professional. So, you know, I had to sub out for that. So there was also, you know, like coordinating with those people. But 
I, after that, you know, and, and kind of like, I loved woodworking, you know, and I loved making stuff. And of course the thought had kind of crossed my mind when I was renovating my house and everything before I even knew about this, this commission, um, the thought had crossed my mind. I'm like, well, I wonder if I could do this for a living one day, you know, but then I was like, well, come on, Matt, don't be crazy. Now you've got this awesome paying job in this career field that, you know, you really enjoy for the most part. Um, the benefits are awesome, you know, but when I had this big commission, I feel like it was just a, a good way to break me in because of all the moving parts, because of the scale. And as I was going through that commission, I remember thinking, okay, if I can do this and, you know, not lose a ton of money and, you know, deliver a great product to the client afterwards, then I should be able to make tables if that's the path I want to go down or, you know, I should be able to focus more on cabinetry or whatever the case, smaller scale items and be able to produce a little bit more. You said something that a lot of people say when I talk with them about their furniture company. And I hear this all the time because I talk with a lot of people who have started their businesses or who are trying to start their businesses. And that is, I got lucky. That first job was lucky or finding the customer was lucky. And just that idea that you got lucky, yes, you could have gotten lucky. You could have not gotten your hair cut that day, but you positioned yourself to be in that position to succeed. And that's beyond luck. If your work wasn't good, then they wouldn't have hired you. If you didn't mentally switch over to that idea that yes, you wanted to have a furniture company, then all the luck in the world wouldn't have put you in that position to start your own company. So luck is always great and I'll take it whenever it comes my way, but I just always want to remind people and you've already been down this road, so I don't need to tell you, but people who are listening that don't always rely on luck because you have to make your own luck 99% of the time and you have to make your luck happen by working really, really hard and putting yourself in the place that you want to be to succeed. I definitely can't disagree with you there. I was, I was trying to stay humble, if you will, but, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I definitely did consider it luck to a certain extent or, or divine intervention, if you will, but you're absolutely right. You know, the actions that, uh, that we take and, and how we conduct ourselves I guess how I'm interpreting what you're saying is that it plays a much larger role than we realize. We're not always completely aware of our surroundings or, or whatever the case, and there could be bigger consequences to them. And in my instance here, it just happened to be good consequences in the sense that I was offered this commission. So no, I completely agree with you. And I also say it, and I'm not, I'm not saying it directly to you, because again, you've run with this and now you have a successful company. I'm saying it to all the people who have said this to me in the past, you also said being humble. And I get that. And I get that people want to be humble, but there's something that you need to push past when you start your own business, when you are breaking through the ice and you're making something for yourself. And yes, you can stay humble personally, but you have to really go beyond that when you are the person pushing your company. You can stay humble. But don't be humble in your business because that is what leads people to 
giving away projects instead of charging the right amount. That puts people in the position of not respecting themselves because they think I'm so lucky that I found myself in this position. I don't want the luck to run out. I'm just going to go with the flow when really you should just be carving your own path because to have a company, to really make that happen like you have and to take that journey and to be successful on the other end, you need to push through with everything you have. And humble is great, but humble isn't going to get you to the next customer. Ethan, you rock. Um, and the reason why I say that is because it's just, it just reminded me of, of something that I used to struggle with for a very long time. And that was kind of almost too much humility in the sense that uh, I still think I'm a terrible salesman. <laughs> and which I know sounds pretty bad because I own a furniture company and I'm selling a product and um, I don't know what it was. You know, I would just, uh, maybe I had a bad experience as a kid or something where we went to a used car lot and I just thought to myself, I never want to be a salesman. Um, but it's just something I never imagined myself doing. And uh, yeah, I, I was pretty bad about selling, not just what I'm making, but me as well. You know, what, what I bring let's face it, there's a ton of people out there who have furniture companies. And, you know, while mine kind of fell more into the local area, it's like there were still plenty of other options for, for these people. And thankfully, it's something that kind of, uh, I believe everyone should have somewhat of a good support system for them. So thankfully, it's something that, you know, like my wife and, you know, like my mom and other family members just kind of helped me like get through like, hey, no, dude, like, look, look at what you just made. Not everybody can do that. So it took a while for me to get over that. And I, I guess how I got over it was just experience and seeing that, yeah, what I've made it as it has held up for a very long time, or it never gets any negative feedback. Like I, I still have people to this day, like, oh, so-and-so came over and, and oh, they, they told me they love that coffee table. And by the way, you know, it's like still going strong, haven't had any issues or, or you know, just things along those lines. Um, just all that over time is kind of what build up and, and helped me get over that. Well, sales is very important. I'm not going to downplay that for a company because you need to sell things. But your best selling tactic is I make really good work. And you can be a mediocre salesman and make great work and be successful. Or you could be a fantastic salesman and make terrible work and go out of business in a couple of years when you've run through all the people who you can sell to and you don't have any repeat clients or any word of mouth or anything like that. So sales is important, but quality is just as important and even more at times. Absolutely. And uh, I guess another thing that kind of helped me get over that um, issue, so to speak, was <laughs> referrals. Um, because what you brought up, I, I, I don't do a lot of marketing aside from social media, really, and I don't even consider that marketing. So all of my referrals have been word of mouth. And I got to tell you, and, I, and again, I guess this is me trying to stay humble, but like, I turn down a lot of work. I'm fortunate enough. And I say that, you know, I'm fortunate enough, like I've, I've poured everything into my builds up to this point, And that has allowed me to get enough referrals and enough word of mouth business to where at this point, able to be a little bit choosy, if you will, about what I want to take on. So of course I'd love to build it all because I love building stuff, but you gotta be smart about it. So 
And I try to, when, when I go into builds and, or if a client approaches me, a prospective client, I'm thinking about more than just, um, am I going to make a ton of money off of this or, or whatever the case may be. I try to do a lot of long range planning. You know, where do I want to be? <laughs> where do I see myself in five years? You know, um, but that cliche is true to a certain extent. It's like, what do I want to be making in five years? You know, do I want to get to like higher end builds? For example, if I do, then, you know, maybe making this cutting board or isn't going to get me there. Um, and so then I'll, I'll lean towards maybe another build that I've been offered at that time that um, I think will get me more experience in that area. They're great examples. And anyone who's listened to this show before or has heard me talk about the furniture business knows that I am a big believer in taking on projects that get you to where you want to go and taking on projects that can push you in the direction of where you think you're going to be the most successful because custom shops like you are, like a lot of people are taking on every single project is just going to leave you scattered. It's going to leave not only your physical shop scattered because you're gonna have to rearrange every single time you need to do a new build because you're reinventing your company for each build. You're a table shop one day, you're a cutting board shop the next day, you're a chair shop the next day. And, and not everybody has the luxury of having a shop that can transform like that. So you're transforming your shop every single time, which is, an incredible headache and you're also transforming your business plan every time because you're building so many different things it just gets so incredibly hectic and not saying that you can't be a custom furniture company that builds all different things but you have to have a focus and you have to understand what you are especially in the beginning when you might not have 10 people who can build all the things that you need to build as a build everything shop. You need to have that focus. Absolutely. You started to get into it a little bit where your next job is usually from word of mouth. How do you go about that? Because it seems like the simplest thing. You make a great piece of furniture, the client's happy, and then that's word of mouth, but it's not because you need to have that client want to recommend you and you need to put yourself in a spot that that client feels good talking about you to somebody else. So what's your process when you're dealing with a client to set up that next job, that next word of mouth job? I mean, Honestly, I think a lot of it is just in how you conduct yourself. I don't have a time limit on when people can text me really, you know, of, or, or reach out to me for business things. You know, I'll have people reach out to me at all hours because they probably understand that I am a smaller business. At the same time, I know that these people are working a nine to five. So I think that kind of helps to a certain extent. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm going to give up my personal time and, you know, whenever my wife is not working, you know, I try to minimize any kind of business uh, interactions, but just how I conduct myself or, or how people conduct themselves professionally when, when they're dealing with clients. So I obviously 
it should go without saying, you know, I'm always trying to be as friendly as I possibly can be to these clients, but communication is just big with me. And um, I think that is what helps set me up for the, the next kind of word of mouth referral. I gauge what the client is like. So, um, you know, I'll start off with a lot of communication. If I'm kind of getting the vibes that they're just like, all right, yeah, I get it. You know, uh, thanks for the update or whatever. Then maybe I'll reel it in a little bit, but I never want a client to have questions running through their mind. Like, oh, I, you know, it's, it's been a week and I haven't heard anything from this person. And it's like, well, yeah, it's, it's a three month build or whatever the case may be, but I'm also not going to give them too much, you know, because sometimes if, if you give clients too much or, or just too many unnecessary updates, then uh, that gives them a chance to maybe start changing their mind. And that's fine. You know, if a client wants to change their mind, that's, that's fine. I, I have a service agreement and everything in place to address that if it does happen. And I have had it happen before, but yeah, I, I think the communication is a big thing. And then of course, just what you deliver for a product, you know, you could be the best communicator in the world, but if uh, you deliver this table and it falls apart when they go to put their feet on it the next day, I think that's obviously going to speak for itself and they're, they're not going to be very happy. But then furthermore, along those lines is that say like something does fall apart. How do you handle it? I can't say I've ever had any of my builds, you know, fall apart or, or had anything really go wrong with them. But in the past, I have, I have had stuff happen with, you know, some of the prefab items you buy, the mechanical things, hinges or whatever the case may be, they've, they've given out. And um, yeah, I make sure I go and I address that. So I, I offer, you know, a warranty, if you will, on my products, but you know, it doesn't cover like wear and tear stuff. And a lot of this is covered in my service agreement, but if something breaks, I don't want people to feel like they got stuck with a lemon. So um, I just think how you conduct yourself and following through on your actions is, is really the biggest factors there. So I know you said you're not the best salesman out there. You don't really enjoy that part of the business, but do you, do you do that little bit of salesmanship when you're delivering a piece? Do you physically say, tell your friends, I do custom stuff. If you know anyone who wants some furniture, send them my way. Or do you just hand it off and, and go your way? Because that is a simple, small thing that a lot of people do struggle with. They struggle with how much they should be selling themselves after a client has already bought into their project. They struggle with the follow-up email or the follow-up conversation saying, you enjoy your stuff, share my name with somebody else because they don't want to be too pushy. For you, who almost your entire client base is based on word of mouth, what's your strategy at the end of a build to get another recommendation? Great question. And the short answer is yes. I, I do kind of plug things, if you will, when I get the chance. And a lot of that comes up in conversation. I think I've just been so used to dealing with, with people, you know, so many people every day throughout the years that I kind of pick up on certain cues. So, you know, if I, if I hear them mention something or because um, a lot of times, you know, when I show up to a client's house, say like they're wanting new, new cabinets just for a certain part of their kitchen. I'm also able to see, well, how is that going to flow with this next part of the room? I'm not sitting here like bashing their design taste by any means, but I'm just like, have you considered, you know, maybe adding a matching table or whatever the case may be. And then also I'll just pick up on subtle hints sometimes when they'll mention a friend, you know, where, oh, my friend would love this. And all right, well, you know, and I make sure I always give people business cards and I, I do follow up 
it just depends on what the build was, but I will follow up shortly after I've delivered the piece. And then a few months later, I'm in touch base then. And here's a good example too. A lot of people kind of know my work for like barber shops and everything. Well, one of the other barber shops, so that barber in the beginning of the story who I was getting my haircut from, he later ended up going and opening his own barber shop. And when he opened up his barbershop, or he wanted me to make him a custom storage bench as well. And when I was in there, I was like, well, what are you doing for barber stations? And he was like, ah, I'm probably going to buy these typical barber stations. And he didn't sound too thrilled about it. And I was like, well, you know, dude, like here I am. And he was like, oh, you know, for some reason that like never even occurred to me. So we both kind of giggled about it. But yeah. Before you know it, I've made, I think 12 stations I made total for his barbershop. And that was a big commission for me. So it's just something as simple as uh, reminding people that you're able to make more than what you're there for, I guess, can, can lead to something else. That was really well said, reminding people that you're there, that you can build stuff, because it is a reminder. Your entire life from waking up to going to sleep and sometimes even dreaming, you're in that furniture mindset. You're trying to either build or sell pieces of furniture. But other people, clients, they don't always make that connection because they're not in the business. They don't always think, okay, the person who did this built-in could also probably build a dining room table. This person who built this bed could also figure out how to set this closet up better. There's always that salesmanship that you need to keep in the back of your mind. And I'm not saying be pushy. Like you don't have to be that type of salesman, but always remember that it's your company and you should be promoting it in the best way possible at all times. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, it is your company and you know, it's great to have friends and family that are always out there. And that's another way I, I get word of mouth referrals too. It's just friends and family, but it, it's great to have them out there. But yeah, at the end of the day, you're going to be your best salesman. And, and your biggest salesman and no one's going to work harder to push your products and, and everything than than you. So it, like I said, it's something I'll probably still be working on for the rest of my life, ways to kind of improve that or whatever, but I've definitely gotten a lot better about it. And it just takes time, I think. And, and that applies to really any challenge um, in my experience. And uh, as I'm sure you well know, there's a lot of challenges that, that come with uh, owning a furniture company. There are. And that's why when you say something like, I'll probably be working to perfect this for the rest of my life, I say, in my mind, good, because it changes. Things change. Your company grows, your clients change, and you always need to be continuing to perfect what you're doing. There should never be a time when you sit back and say, all right. I'm good to go. This is the way I'll run my company for the rest of the time it is in business because things are going to change. And if you have it perfect today, then it might not be perfect tomorrow. So even the best companies out there are still always working to perfect what they are doing. So never feel that your company needs to be perfect. It can always be changing, evolving, and making itself better. Yeah, absolutely. Stagnation is the enemy for sure. Furniture is 
uh, revolves around design. And as we all know, design preferences change throughout the year. And, and not even just that. I mean, people's needs change. Um, if the design of their house changes, then, you know, they may have gone from, well, they they used to want this kitchen layout, for example, to, to now they want this. So I try to keep an open mind as, as much as possible with everything and just not not pigeonhole myself necessarily. And uh, that, that applies to not just what I'm making, but you know, how I'm trying to, you know, doing what kind of works for you. And, and that's what I've kind of grown to do is what works for me in the sense that like, yeah, I might have a, a bad back or whatever the case may be, but woodworking does help me alleviate some of these, you know, physical issues by being out there and moving around. But at the same time, I can overdo it out there in the wood shop, you know? So there's plenty of other stuff to do in the meantime. There's, there's admin work or, you know, all the paperwork and everything involved, you know, planning out for next jobs or, or builds or whatever the case may be. There's, there's ways to still work around that because I, I know that I'm not the only woodworker out there who has physical, you know, or, or other limitations going on. So do what works for, for you and, um, and use that to your advantage because while being your own boss, it always comes with way more work than, than people ever imagined, right? At least that's my experience. I, I didn't know that all this extra stuff was going to be involved. And so I know some people kind of see that as a con, but a, a pro to owning your own business or being your own boss is that um, you can make your own schedule still to a certain extent. So like I've got my specific kind of workflow time to where I, I notice that I am just way more productive out there in the shop. So I, I make sure that just everything kind of lines up then I'm, I'm building out there at that time. And, you know, I don't, I don't let social media get in the way or I don't schedule any business phone calls or, or quotes or site visits or anything like that during that time. And, you know, it's just something that over the years I've kind of tried to maximize my efficiency and my time as much as possible because time management is, is always a tough one for me. So find out what works for you and realize that you're your own boss. You can make your own schedule and use that to your advantage. And that goes hand in hand with it being your own company and you don't have to make your company look like somebody else's company there's good practices that you can learn from successful companies but just because somebody's doing it one way doesn't mean that's right for you you mentioned physical limitations and furniture making a lot of the time can be a very physical activity but you still have a furniture business because you've made the way your company works work for you. You understand that maybe nine to five hours, or if let's be honest, a lot of furniture makers out there, seven in the morning to 10 o'clock at night hours are what a lot of people are doing, but you've managed to understand your limitations and make that a positive. You've understood when you can work and when you can't work. And when you can't work, you can do office work. You can push your social media. You can follow up with clients. So it's a great point that you control your own destiny as the business owner, and you should make the company work for you instead of working for what you think the company should be. Definitely. There's, there's no point in, you know, trying to swim up river, so to speak, just so you can look like the company down the street. 
it's a hard enough struggle as it is, the furniture company and just owning a business in general. So um, whatever you can do to just make things a little bit easier on you. And I mean, I mean that even in, includes buying new tools, upgrading new tools. I mean, that's something that really kind of helped me out a lot as well was just um, upgrading my tools. And I, I wish I would have done that sooner <laughs> instead of, uh, you know, I just wish I would have bought once and cried once to, if that makes any sense, instead of just the slow kind of upgrade thing. But those tools do also help with some of the uh, the physical issues that I have. Nobody wants to sit there and, and sand for hours with a random orbital sander, you know? So even something as simple as buying a drum sander really helps out a lot in some of those situations. And it does help with efficiency too, because for example, with the physical stuff, if you're, if you're wearing your body down, I mean, how long do you think you can keep up with that? You know, you have to do certain things that will because i told you in the beginning well, before i even joined the military i did that because i didn't want a uh a ton of manual labor to you know for the rest of my life or whatever but there's ways to go about this that don't involve destroying your body stretch beforehand you know get a stretch before you get out there you know or or take breaks get a decent chair in your shop you know and because there's plenty of stuff you can do in the shop while you're sitting down. Take a load off the old back. Just little stuff like that adds up. Uh, some decent floor mat. Because I really firmly believe that the physical aspects of the job or the build are, are going to affect you know the other aspects as well. People will see it. They definitely do. And taking control of your own health and your own body is incredibly important when you are a one person or a small shop that you need to be at 100% all the time. Let's get back into customers and the business side of your company. Now, you, as we've talked about, get a lot of word of mouth clients. And that means that there's already a personal touch to the start of a conversation. You've already been vetted by a friend of theirs or a family member of theirs or somebody that they know. So it's not like they're finding you off the internet and they're finding your website and they're coming to you and have no idea who you are, but you still need to, even though they know you and you have that, that personal stamp of approval, you still need to win these people over. So what does a client interaction look like for you when you get that call or email and somebody says, I want a piece of furniture. How do you start and where does that interaction go? Great question. I think a lot of it kind of starts the same way. I always try to get a feel for what they're looking for. You know, I mean, they, they might say, Hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm wanting this built or whatever, but I try to go a little bit more in detail. I, I think a lot of people tend to ask for pictures. Um, I know I do. I say, all right, do you have any pictures, you know, off the internet or whatever the case may be um, that kind of give you an idea of what you're looking for. Uh, I'm not looking to completely replicate this. It just gives me an idea. And I kind of refine things from there. Because let's face it, nobody wants to waste each other's time. You know, we're all we're all busy people here, and I try to respect my clients' time as much as possible. And when I say that, I also mean that I might be wasting their time, as in I might not be able to make it. I might not want to make it. I try not to tell them that as bluntly as that, but um, you know, or there could be other things going on. And I've had a lot of people reach out in the past, and what they're asking for 
is they'll send me a screenshot and it'll be something like off of Amazon or off of Etsy. And of course, uh, it won't show that in the, the screenshot necessarily, but I'll know, you know, it's from like the background. I'm like, all right, well, I try to kind of get a feel for what their price is too, um, shortly into the conversation. But I, I tell them, hey, look, what are you looking for is to spend here as far as kind of a, a minimum and maximum ballpark range. And when I ask that, and I tell them this, when I ask that, I'm not asking that so I can automatically go to the maximum. I'm trying to get you the highest quality build with the best materials that I can that fall within that price range. So that could be at your minimum, you know, that could be at the, the maximum. And so they'll kind of tell me, and for the people that, you know, I know that this is something that they've seen on a different website. Um, I usually know off the bat that there's no way I'll be able to make it for cheaper than that or less expensive, I should say, than that. Um, because these companies or these people on, you know, Etsy, this is solely what they're making for the most part you know they like you said in the beginning they have their shop set up for that my shop is kind of a chameleon at times um, and i have you know different little transformer aspects of my shop but I, I try to kind of stay in the same realm if you will and uh these people are specializing in something that's in a completely different universe is what i'm making so i will try to tell those clients right off the bat that hey look you know as much as i would love to make this for you i'm probably not going to be able to make it for for less expensive than than what you're seeing on the internet and you know that's fine and some of those back to me and i make other things for them but that's where that conversation ends from there though once i get an established you know price range and everything then i usually like to set up just a time to either come meet or, or at least talk to them on the phone because uh, you know the telephone game things can get kind of lost in translation but when i go over there if it's something you know physically for their space i always like to see the space as much as possible because by no means am i some hg tv design star but i i like to think i'm pretty good at, at judging the layout of a room and there's been a lot of times where you know i've gone over to a client's house and they're talking about wanting a kitchen cabinet in the corner for example and because i'm able to see that room and be there in person I'm able to say, oh, well, just so you know, um, that just won't work right there because you've got a slider right there. So if you open this up, you know, people might clothesline themselves on the way out. So I like to go over there and I measure out their space and I measure out the entire space just because you never know when something else might pop up. It's just good to kind of have that blueprint to begin with. Then I do my my, my fifth grade skills of, of drawing things out on my notepad and kind of just giving a rough idea of that, writing down the finishes that they're talking about doing. And um, I tell them, all right, well, if we're going to go forward with this, and this is where things get kind of custom, I guess, even more in the, the custom furniture world is it depends on the size and scope of this build. But if it's going to be something that's going to require a lot of time for me in SketchUp or, you know, just another is then I'll, I'll tell them, I have XYZ as a cost for um, kind of a design fee. So I take that first because I've been burned in the past where I go and I spend days, literally I've spent days redoing stuff in SketchUp for a prospective client. And then they just didn't end up going with me or I just got tired of redoing everything for them. So it was a, a big waste of time, but it wasn't a waste of time in the sense that I learned from it. So, um, and prevented doing that in the future. So. I like to get a uh, design fee up front for the bigger builds and I kind of go from there. And once I get that hashed out with them, you know, I'll redo it once or twice. I, I tell them, you know, what I'm sending you right now, this design, it, what what that design fee covers is uh, a couple of modifications. Of course, I'm, I'm not going to send you the first thing. And if you don't like it, there's another design fee. It's, it's nothing like that. 
Um, but they usually, what I send them the first time is really close, if not spot on. So we'll tweak it a little bit. And from there, I just say, all right, well, I'll send them over my service agreement. I'll let them know 50% deposit up front, and that gets them um, in line. Design fees is something that a lot of people struggle with because you as the furniture maker have to already have the idea of the piece to be able to ballpark it. You're already designing it in your mind and usually on a paper or on computer. And you need to share that with the client before they sign off on it or while they're signing off on it. But you want to make sure that you don't get burned with that. You don't share that design that you've put time into, and then they take that to somebody else. So design fee is something that, and I'm not going to say one way's right or the other way's right, but that's always a good thing to keep in mind that if you have a project you know you should be charging a design fee for, then you should definitely give that a lot of thought. Now, there are people like you were in the beginning who weren't sure what they wanted to do, but decided that they wanted to give furniture making a shot and they wanted to have their own company. And there are people who have been doing this for a long time, like you have, who want to be more successful than they've been. They want to keep growing at the rate that they think they should be, but they just don't feel like they're climbing the ladder at the pace they want. So for those two people, one starting a business and two already with an established business that they want to grow, what's some advice that you could share from your own journey of having a successful furniture company? Well, for the people starting off, um, it's almost like, yeah, you want to wait. I, I guess I could compare it to like when, when they say, uh, oh, you're never ready for a kid, you know, because people are like, oh, I just feel like I'm not ready, you know, and uh, I, I don't have enough saved up or, um, you know, I don't have enough uh, diaper stockpiled or whatever the case may be. It's like, yes, to a certain extent, you're never going to be ready. I certainly wasn't ready when I started my business. I, I probably shouldn't resign my job at the time, you know, um, just because it, it would have helped. I, I didn't have a big enough client list at the time there, there were some, some down times where I wasn't, you know, making custom builds for people or pulling in money. So, you know, establish that, that client base, but also don't be afraid to, to pull the trigger at some point. You know, if you're going to do it, if you're really passionate about it, you just need to jump in and do it. Um, there's always going to be challenges involved, but it, it's really just finding a way to overcome them. You know, um, there's, there's so many obstacles. Like I, I could just, I could talk for hours on the obstacles, but um, the, the biggest thing is just, it's just finding ways to overcome them. It, is it going to be uncomfortable, you know, hurdling these obstacles? Probably. Is it going to require sacrifices? Probably. But, you know, and I'm just speaking generally here, there's a solution out there. So, especially if you want it bad enough. So, you know, save as much as you can. I mean, I, this is probably a little personal, but you know, I ended up having to pull my 401k within uh, the first couple of years of my business and, and using that because, you know, 
yes, I was making money on, on build, but um, there was just a lot of other unforeseen expenses that I wasn't prepared for. And, you know, I was the only one pulling in um, income at the time because my wife, don't get me wrong, I would be lost without her and I would not be able to do this without her at all. But she was a full-time student when I resigned uh, my career and started doing this. So, um, you know, having a good support system is, is just crucial. Um, that'll help out a lot. All right. And then, so for those wanting to grow, you know, this was kind of something that I struggled with for a while because it, yes, my first couple of commissions were, were more like cabinetry oriented, but I, I didn't want to like solely be in, in that kind of um, specialized part of, of furniture building because there's just so much out there. So it's like, if you're going to resign or, or, you know, move on, open up your own company and, and start your own company to make furniture because it's something you're passionate about. Well, I'd say take that even a step further as in find a part of woodworking that you're extremely passionate about. So cutting boards could be your thing, for example, right? You just love building cutting boards, but like, you know, cabinetry is going to sell. And, and you're good at cabinetry, but you just want to, you want to branch out or wherever, then slowly start incorporating that. And um, I'm a firm believer in like kind of face-to-face -face interactions, you know, and if you're getting your, your face in front of the right people, maybe higher end clients who want to pay more, then that could be a solution there. Um, so find what you're really passionate about because I mean, we're already taking a leap and a gamble here doing this, right? Because it's something we love. So <laughs> You don't want to get into this and just be like, well, hey, you know, at least I'm not stuck behind a desk all day. But at the same time, I'm getting really tired of building, you know, cabinets. Right. So, um, yeah, just just find what makes you happy. And um, I know a lot of this just sounds like some silly cliches or whatever, but uh, I've had to work through these things myself. And, you know, there's there's ways to get to it. It's just finding the right people and, and getting your product in front of the right people. And um, I think the rest will kind of line up. So it doesn't sound silly. It sounds like reality because if you have your own company, you should be doing what you want. You should be making what makes you happy and not saying it's all fun and games and it's all incredibly easy because it's not. Even if you're making what makes you happy, there's going to be hard days. There's going to be probably more hard days than good days when you're running your own business. But the idea that you're doing something that you want to do and you're making a company out of that is what's going to keep you pushing forward. Because if you have a company that you don't want to be at, that you don't want to be a part of, then what's the point of having your own company? Go work for somebody else and you can just relax and be an employee. Don't be afraid to, if you have your own company, to make it into what you want it to be. Absolutely. You know, well, shortly after I resigned, I did, I, I did apply to a couple of, you know, um, like custom kind of finished carpentry uh, businesses and, um, you know, I had some job opportunities there, but that's what stopped me is, you know, I wouldn't, would it be a lot harder having my own company? Of course it would be, but it, it would be my own. And what I'm making would be my own with, with my own twist on it. Um, because yeah, if, if not, like you said, it's just go, go work for somebody else. Um, and 
there's there's so many branches of like woodworking out there you know that's the great thing about it is um there's just so many different types of things you can do so you know experiment a while that's the other thing i would say for the people like just starting off you know like you can know that you enjoy working with your hands and, and making things for people but like if, if you're walking through a store and you see a credenza and, and you think, ah, oh, you know what? I've never made a credenza. Well, and, and I want to, you should make that before you start your own company, right? You should make that and see how that experience is because who knows, it, it might not even be credenzas that it leads you to. It, it might be something that was specifically a part of that, you know, um, maybe you inscribe, you know, a pattern or something on there and that just kind of leads you down a whole nother rabbit hole. So yeah, I just say, don't, don't stop yourself in one area. So that's the truth. Don't, don't pigeonhole yourself and always keep an open mind. And I think that throughout everything you've said, you've really shared not only the business side of your business, but your own personal passion for the furniture industry and how you have gone out and really found what works for you and that's how you started from a random barber shop encounter to the successful company that you have today so i just want to say thank you for sitting down with me and for sharing your story with everybody listening and i wish you all the success moving forward Ethan, uh, thank you. Um, well, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate the opportunity. But uh, more importantly, I appreciate what you're doing. Because uh, like I said, I know I found this podcast really helpful. I, I know other people find it helpful. So please keep doing what you're doing. And thanks again. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I will. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.